Hello, and welcome to Our Canon Podcast. My name is Tia. My name is Thurston. And my name is Ajua. Um, today we will be discussing The Bluest Eye by Toni Morrison, which was published in 1970. What from this book written in the 70s taking place in the 40s do we think uh, has aged the best or the worst? I'll uh, start. I think I just feel like all the relational turmoil and like the fears from the from the perspective of like the children mm-hmm. um, are just seem, just seem super relevant yeah. for today. You know, they're they're dressed up a little differently, right? The insecurities now are connected to like social media and likes and filters and. I mean, I, I thank the Lord I'm not at middle school yeah. today, like in today's yeah. world. But yeah, just kind of the the heart of that, I just feel like has aged really well. Like it's, again, it's, I just, I think it still feels true to what people and certainly like children are thinking about and worrying about. Yeah. You said what aged the best? Yeah, what aged the best and what aged the worst. Okay. Yeah, I think... I never know what to do with this when it comes to books. In TV shows, it's easier to issue a trigger warning, but there is so much that happens in this book that if somebody did not warn you before you read it, you might be in a place where it it will just bring up some stuff for you because there's a lot of assault. There is a lot of, like, children being endangered. They're, like... People are sick, you know, just all of these things that if you are not someone who has at least had some sort of thought about your own inner life or Mm -hmm. your emotions or the things that happen to you, you might be thrown into something that you did not ask for. Mm -hmm. Um, And so and I I don't fault Toni Morrison for that, because who would have known that in our time that we would actively be issuing trigger warnings but some of it i'm like oh my god <laughs> can we get like a you might want to put this book down if you're sitting in a room alone <laughs> during <laughs> don't read this uh, book in the winter when this yes. <laughs> right when your vitamin d is low and <laughs> you haven't seen another person so mm. uh, but there are definitely some things particularly the child endangerment at every turn um <laughs> that I was like, Mm-mm, no, uh, it just was a lot. And it was packed into 206 pages. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like almost on every page, something horrible happens. Um, so I think it, it doesn't age well in the sense that if you are picking up this book in 2020, you may not be in a place to receive it. But I think the parts of it that like, it exposes all of the things that we've needed to talk about, mm-hmm. whether it's in our families or in friendships or in marriages or whatever that we don't normally talk about. Mm-hmm. Um, so through the eyes of a, of a child. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I was really struck by this representation of parenthood throughout the book. Um, I mean, yeah. I mean, I think multiple, there are multiple sets of parents in this, this text um and I think it's just perhaps the age that I am at and me like renegotiating my own relationship with my parents and processing a lot of what it was like to be a child in my household growing up um 
I remember, so I think one scene that struck me was when Claudia at the beginning of the book is sick and um, she feels like her mother really resents her, her illness, right? And like, it was mad at her because she's sick. It's like, how did you go and get sick? And obviously she doesn't, uh, Claudia doesn't have, you know, the life experience to understand that her mom is not actually mad at her. She's just, she resents like the life circumstance. And her mom doesn't have the language mm-hmm. to communicate. I am not mad at you. I'm I'm sad that you're sick and I'm frustrated. And really, I'm worried. Um, and yeah, I feel like even just recently, a lot of the discourse on Twitter about Black parenthood, I feel like Toni Morrison is capturing a lot of that. Back in 1970, you know, and she's putting language to some of the things that we... I think now in our age are sort of talking about and unpacking as we're thinking about our own parents. Um, and so I think, yeah, that has aged really well. Um, and yeah, it gives me some good language to like bring into, you know, conversations about my own childhood and my own parents. But um, I can't think of anything that has aged poorly. Though I do think, yeah, the trigger warning would be mm-hmm. helpful for many people. Cause there, I mean, there's a lot of, <laughs> a lot of mm-hmm. really dark stuff happening in this book um and it sneaks up on you too she just like eases it in mm-hmm. it's not like you it's not like it's building and you know that's what's coming it's like oh whoa how did we get to pedophilia where did this come from like what yeah um yeah so she just she's such a fluid writer that yeah you can't see it coming so yeah i think a trigger warning would be um useful and and it's, this book has been banned in many places uh, <laughs> I was looking at that earlier. It's actually been banned in Wake County, which is interesting because I'm from Wake County. Yeah, I mean, it's not so banned, (laughs) but uh, a high school in Wendell, North Carolina, which is not too far from Raleigh, North Carolina, banned the book in 2014, um, which is recent. Yeah, they, um, I think they like lifted the ban eventually, but yeah, fascinating. Because it's, yeah, there's a lot of dark shit happening in it. So I'm not, I'm not opposed to people being like, ah, this is a lot. yeah. yeah, but the thing that I would say in response to that is like if even though I brought it up, like please issue a tr- trigger warning, is that uh, black people don't get the luxury mm-hmm. of like easing into trauma. Yep. Like mm-hmm. we don't, we don't get the luxury of being like, okay, so yep. when you're about five and you go to kindergarten, somebody might call you the N word yeah. in your classroom, yep. right? Right. And parents, black parents don't get the luxury of timing those conversations mm-hmm. at all. Yep. Usually nope. it's brought on by the incident. Yep. And mm-hmm. so I think one of the genius parts of books in general that, you know, TV shows don't really always um, highlight is that the, um, the author controls how you enter into that situation with the character. And there are no other elements besides your mind and how you're processing it with a show. You have music, you have a change in lighting, you have a change in somebody's pace of walking. And you don't know that in a book unless the author tells you. Mm -hmm. Right. And so that it just like, yeah. And yeah, it just is exposing once again, like, the current state of black families and black people with trauma, which is all of us, um, <laughs> unfortunately, but you, we really don't get the ease of that. Um, 
And absolutely. I do struggle sometimes with the trigger warning because I'm like, that's somebody's story. Mm-hmm. That's their life, right? Um, and with Bacola, I'm like, well, for Claudia and Frida, they don't get to ease into her life. This girl ends up living with them. They go to school with her. They see all these horrible things happen to her. And they're just trying to, they're doing the best that they can with what they have, which is some seeds for some flowers. Mm-hmm. And their presents, really. Yeah. And Pecola, probably what she needs most is for people to be near her. Hmm. Yeah. So I, yeah, I feel a lot of this book on a very emotional level that I like to reserve <laughs> for very small amounts of the day because it's just so <laughs> intense. <laughs> but um, yeah, we, we are just kind of thrown into their world yeah. so quickly. Yeah, the trigger warning conversation just makes me think about the like the kind of practice sometimes, especially in schools mm-hmm. of I know there's a word for it, but basically like treating children like they can't handle what they actually can't handle. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, you know that that's too complex, that's too advanced, that's too much, and it's like, do you know what they're actually yeah. going through? Yeah. Like, do you know well. the conversations that they're having with their friends or enemies? Like, do, you know, and I. A lot of times adults don't um, with their own kids or kids in general. And so it's like to to ban this book because of the harshness that like, I mean, even in the context of the book, like, well, Pecola and Frida are dealing with a peer Mm -hmm. who Uh has been raped by her father. Um, They're young, (laughs) like they're all the same age. Um, All of the the slurs and the black emo and the, the hate, the hate and the racism internalized anti-blackness, like they're all dealing with that in their youth. And I think all of us have dealt with that yep. in our youth. And so it's wild. Cause you know, I'm sure this wasn't on an elementary school reading list. Like right. I'm sure it was banned from high schools. Yep. And I'm like, you mean to tell me that a 14 year old black kid couldn't handle and, and not even couldn't handle, but like hasn't dealt with a lot of the themes mm-hmm. that are present in this book. Maybe right. not directly, but at least, you know, through through friends and just, you know, the tool that this could have been for so many generations to like mm-hmm. process some really difficult times, experiences, emotions, mm-hmm. thinking about um, what's the word? Uh, mandated reporter. Is that the term? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, like, I mean, imagine, you know, a class reading this book and then a kid asking a teacher to stay after because they need to talk about something in it that triggered them. And like, oh, look, now we're able to, like, unearth mm-hmm. some horrible thing going on in a kid's home because they read this book yeah. that yeah. is actually talking about what they're going through. Yeah. Yes. OK, I was literally thinking about that and I wanted to say it, but I was like, no, no. But I wish <laughs> I wish I could have read this in middle school alongside a therapist mm-hmm. because the scene where um the boys are saying black emo yeah like i could i could recount some stories from seventh grade where you're like um ma'am yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't tell nobody you know um because there there was a sense of like well this is just how it's supposed to be yeah. and i think a lot of the characters in the book feel that at times because what else are they supposed to do? Yeah. Right. If, if your mom gets mad at, or 
the way that she communicates about you being sick feels like anger. Why would you share about yeah. racism? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, that's just a, that's a bonus, you know? <laughs> but yeah, I, I do wonder how soon somebody could read this. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I've, I've been thinking recently about all the things that happen to kids and teens that their parents, you know, to this day don't know about, like even in my own life. It's like, Oh, like, yeah, I never told my parents about that. Like, it was just something that happened and it was weird or traumatic or scary or life threatening. And yeah, it's just all this, you don't communicate, you don't have those kinds of conversations with adults. Um, So just like all of the, the like child secrets that are held and some are, you know, stories you can laugh about later, right. With your friends, but some are traumatic. Right. And yeah, from a, from a literature and like sort of child psychology perspective, it's like, well, some of the reason why, some of the reason why that doesn't happen is because there's no space or there's no like Avenue for that conversation to happen. And, you know, to the earlier question of like, why is this book important? It's like, well, a book like this could open that door from child to parent or, yeah, like a a child being able to talk through this with a therapist, being able to talk through this with their English teacher. Um, There's just there's no like apparatus that gets those stories out of the like mind of a 12 year old into a conversation with an adult who could actually help them. Yeah. And so your 12 year old mind has to rationalize it and, 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 you know, solve it on your own or with other 12 year olds. It's like, and that's why people are, why we're all messed up. Imaginative um, sort of, this is maybe a bit of a writer's question, but if, if you're looking at this story and you want to change the trajectory, Mm what what shift if you know if you're thinking you can you can if this were real and you can travel back in time into any point in this narrative any point in any other character's history if that was your power that you got yesterday (laughs) on the negro solstice (laughs) (laughs) um yeah what what would you shift tweak change to change the trajectory of this story Um, I don't know what my original answer for it was, but um, in uh, what's mm, Pacola's mom is Pauline, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right? Pauline, Pauline. So I was in the reread, it's thinking a lot about access to healthcare, yeah. hmm. and it's like, oh man, if she had proper healthcare when she was two and stepped on that nail, and if she had proper dentist, you know, dental care. Yeah. Like the two bit, what for her in her mind were like the two big defining sort of moments that kind of put her life on a downward spiral, mm-hmm. which of course like influenced her relation, her even getting with Charlie and, you know, her and Piccola's whole mm-hmm. life. I was like, man, just if, if, I, if everyone, if everyone in this uh, story had access to proper health care. Yep a lot of the story wouldn't have happened. And, you know, so, like, to not even branch into, like, emotional stuff, it's just, like, if everyone was at the dentist every six months and getting yearly checkups with doctors that they could trust, uh, how much of the story wouldn't have happened? Yeah, I mean, so much of this is so structural, and um, 
Yeah, but changing something as simple as, yeah, healthcare, access to healthcare would have really, absolutely, I think, for Pauline, would have definitely changed the shape of her life. Um, I, this is not the question, but I, I, you know, I I think the story is very moving in its heartbreak because it is, it does not have a happy ending. And I, part, um, I was reading some interviews with Morrison and she was talking about how, that that at the time that she was sort of writing this, there were a lot of black male writers who were writing a lot about liberation and things like that, which she was very excited about, but she also wanted to write about the thing that came before that and to sort of suggest that it wasn't always very beautiful, even at the time of her writing, it was still, you know, pretty fucked up. But um, so I'm, I'm interested in that. The only thing I would have wanted more of is Pocola's perspective because so much of the book is about mm-hmm. her and there is a section where we do get to see her talking in the first person. But by that time, she is, she has fragmented reality. Not okay. She's very much not okay. She is unhinged. She's very much unhinged. Yeah, she she's gone. like no longer tethered to reality. Um, she has now created another version of herself or whoever she is talking to, a friend. Um, and I, yeah, I think I would have been curious to, to see more of her voice earlier in the story. And I thought it was an interesting choice. Because it was Piccolo's story, right? Like, I mean, Claudia's a narrator, but it is very much Piccolo's story. And so I, that mm-hmm. so much of it was not told from her perspective is interesting. And maybe that's the point, right, is that um, that oftentimes Black girls, their stories are sort of, I don't know, tamped down. But I was like, man, you could have... I, I would have liked to see more of her perspective before she had descended into madness and had created a, basically an alter ego. Um, so that's what I, if I had storytelling, you know, power, I can infuse that. I would do that. What I would do. Mm. Um, it's hard to choose because I really <laughs> resonate with the like, dang, if we had health care, mm-hmm. you know. <laughs> um, but in addition to that, I think, a safe way for black children to tell their parents or trusted people that something's not okay. Um, Mm. Because I think what keeps a lot of black children and I would definitely include myself in this group is like uh, the fear of the response to the thing that we're saying, like, and it, and we know that the response is like our parents care or like the adult is like, you know, just surprised or shocked by what we're telling them but how how do we teach black parents to respond in a way that doesn't induce shame Mm -hmm. or fear um i just feel like there were so many moments throughout this book where i'm like okay like claudia and frida and piccola could have had these really they could have been safe for like two minutes (laughs) (laughs) because everything else endangers them at every turn (laughs) But, like, for two minutes, they could have been listened to by somebody who's older than them, maybe wiser. Mm -hmm. Everybody in this book needs help. Um, But, you know, just, like, where for once they could say something and it wasn't met by, like, a really terrible reaction. Mm -hmm. Because they are kind to each other. Yeah. Like, Frida Frida and Claudia interact well with each Mm -hmm. other. Um, for the most part, and 
you know, can talk about some of these things, but the, the people who have maybe some agency to do something about what they're seeing, Mm -hmm. they don't have that kind of response within them. And I just, I just think that there's so much that was like snuffed out in these little girls yeah. that mm-hmm. have to, you know. Yeah. Um, also, strange people living with them. Yeah. Stop. <laughs> <laughs> As somebody who had relatives living in their house constantly growing up, this was very distressing mm-hmm. to me because yeah. all the people who live with them, I'm like, you ain't do no background check. <laughs> <laughs> you don't. <laughs> Where did you meet them? Yeah. So, which is like thing for immigrant families mm-hmm. but it's so frustrating I'm like you tell your kids don't talk to strangers but you bring them into your house yeah make it make sense yeah I think there's a there's a somewhat common sort of debate or question about parenting that's like you know are you is it your job to prepare your kids for the world as it is or to like you know, inspire your kids to kind of rise above that mm-hmm. or to, to change it, to be change agents or something <laughs> like that. And I I feel like the older I get and the more that I spend a lot of time through work with like college aged kids and like, so yeah. you, there, it, it gives, you know, you an interesting glimpse into a specific uh, point in someone's life of trauma, right? Like, they're adults for the first time away from home for the first time starting to make decisions for themselves and priorities and value. Those are like beginning to solidify. Um, so you see, you see a lot of like, what does a certain type of parenting produce in someone by the time that they're 20. Right. Um, and so anyway, the older I get, I'm just like, I, I, I understand and maybe and maybe it's generational and there's I'm certainly speaking from a point of privilege that I understand where the compulsion of like I need to prepare you to live in this world that wants to kill you like I get that um and that you know that's why people are pressured to major in certain things right or to to live in certain places or to like live their life a certain way it's like I think from a place of love but yeah just I think a lot about like what if I think some of the harshness that comes across in the parenting in this book is clearly an example of like, I'm trying to keep you alive mm-hmm. in this, yeah. like, you know, or, or like, I'm trying to, even for like, you know, young girls in marriage, like I want you to have good prospects, right. Or be the type of girl who someone's going to want to be with. And, you know, like, don't be like the Maginot line. And like, I, I think I see all the love in that, but it, it all moves in the direction of maintaining the status quo. Mm-hmm. And again, from my perspective and like dealing with young adults, I'm like, I just see the harm that that brings. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm, like, I'm all about increasing freedom. Yep. Mm-hmm. And I, yeah, I mean, again, incredibly privileged position for me to say to, for me to feel like, you know, well, we don't have to focus so much on just space survival, um, as they did in the forties or seventies. But the reality is I know lots of people are actually living in that position today. I'm not. And even like, you know, college students that I work with, like they're not in the worst of the worst situations, um, as a whole demographic, but yeah, just, there's there's a parenting question that like this book I think highlights because it's like clearly all these parents are just frustrated and upset or disciplining in the direction of like 
you're not going to live in this world if you keep acting like that. Mm. <laughs> but it, but I think, Audra, you said, like, but that snuffs out yes. some things in those young girls that is heartbreaking to see. How do you think, do you think this could be made into a 10-episode Netflix show? Please don't. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Maybe it's just my own sadness about what happens to the characters, and particularly Piccola, but I... I don't, out of all the shows that I'm currently watching, I don't think there are situations where like children are regularly, black children are regularly being put in danger or harmed. Um, maybe like a, you know, a four part series so we're, we're done with it, but this <laughs> is just my aversion to like <laughs> anything sad right now. Oh, you sound like me. Well, <laughs> um, I think this is a summertime show when there's more sunlight um, <laughs> and access to the outside. <laughs> but, mm, amen. Um, definitely should not be watched alone. And I mean, my mind is already thinking of like a cast that could be a part of it, but <laughs> it needs to be released at a at the correct time. Let's just say that. Y'all going to be mad when they cast Yara Shahidi as stop it, Piccola. Stop, stop. Look, I hate you. I'm already mad. I'm livid. Same. I'm livid. Same. Oh. oh, my God. I think this text would, if, if it needs to be translated, and I am not somebody that thinks that important books need to become television shows or films, but if it needed to be, yeah, I think a show with like eight to 10 episodes and only one season is the best medium for that. I don't necessarily trust Netflix with it, but um, yeah, this would not work as a film um, unless it is by a very skilled director. But I think the, the way that the book is fragmented lends itself well to episodes. Um, Mm -hmm. But no, I would not, if if this became a show, I wouldn't watch it. (laughs) I certainly would not. <laughs> Absolutely, I would not, not watch this at all. <laughs> not, certainly not, and I don't mind trauma, and I watch a lot of dark stuff. But I not at this stage in my life. Like, give me something a little with a little more hope, you know? Um, yes, yeah. I need. Yeah, I need something that's gonna be like, yeah, we're gonna be okay. <laughs> It'd be one of the shows that they classify as important, which mm. for me is like, yeah, I'm not gonna watch black trauma right now. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I could imagine it on Netflix yeah. as one of those shows that's like um, you, I know you've seen them because I'm sure you've watched plenty of like serious Netflix shows that are very blue like the cinematography is very blue and it's yes. yeah because that's mm. serious <laughs> oh my god it's serious um, this is really annoying uh, oh god <laughs> I'm, I'm t- I was literally about to name shows I'm just not going to be that petty but yeah, we need. To, I, I need some shows with some sunlight, some bright colors, some hope, some mm-hmm. black people who are happy, some black women wearing yellow. yellow. You know, <laughs> black women yellow is mustard. like the best. Yes, yellow. mustard yellow. Mm. Yes, yes, yes. That's what I want. Yes, that's what I want. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think, Thurston? Oh, uh, <laughs> I I think. Uh, I, yeah, I appreciate you saying, like, yeah, I, don't, I wouldn't trust Netflix with it. It's like, uh, maybe HBO mm-hmm. miniseries. Stars. Event. <laughs> I, what, uh, I don't know a lot about Stars' uh, like, aesthetic or what kind of shows that they typically have. 
um, traumatic things. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't have stars. Don't know the star shows. But yeah, of the like streaming platforms that I'm familiar with, I feel like HBO would probably do it the most justice. But again, I mean, I'm also with Tia. Like, I don't, I'm not here to say like it should be turned into something visual, some a visual art medium because people also should read in 2020. Yeah. <laughs> um, any last minute or like insights or observations from? Uh, the chapter from the book that hasn't come out in our questions so far? Oh, I, there's a persistent melancholy throughout this book. And I, this is like, an, I, I don't have anything deep to say. I just noticed. And sometimes it wasn't always easy to trace that melancholy to something specific like poverty or racism or, hmm. um, a specific trauma and I that's fascinating to me because um, it does feel very much about like she's she's drawing a very specific um, case study of a particular black family and how you know just being black in America can have these tendrils of harm in different ways but sometimes I felt like characters were just melancholy and it felt like Morrison was suggesting that that is just part of not just the black condition, but the human condition to long for something beyond what you had or have. Um, so like Pauline, I think is an example of that where she, I mean, obviously like having healthcare would have made her life a lot different, um, but she was in a family that she was happy to be in and like, it wasn't until she moved away with Charlie that she started to feel isolated and started to feel like an other. But these desires for something right. more than what she had bloomed, and it didn't necessarily feel connected to racism because she lived in a Black community. And so, I, I, yeah, I just found that interesting that, yeah, there was, like, this sense of restlessness for characters that, that wasn't always easily traceable. Um, and that's fascinating to me. Yeah, and for Pauline, I mean, it's specifically says that like it, like the way that the other black women teased her for like her southern accent yeah. and pronunciation of words, like yeah, it wasn't it was it was like kind of people of her own community yeah. that yeah. um added to that or created that sense of displacement for her. It which it made me think a lot about uh, a lot of the book, but particularly that part for Pauline, just a community, right? Like they they moved up north and then they were just isolated with within themselves, right? And, like, it talks a lot about how housekeeping when you just lived in a two-bedroom house wasn't, you know, it wasn't enough to keep her occupied, but she wasn't feeling yeah. drawn into the community of women up there. And Charlie was, you know, working, and I guess he had people to go, like, drinking buddies or stuff like that. Mm -hmm. But, the yeah, that isolation that she experienced is something that I feel like is more universal beyond like a certain mm -hmm. class. Um, yeah. To say, Oh, it's just cause they were poor. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, for me, the, the explanation when the two white men with the gun are, uh, I don't even know what the words are for this, but for forcing young Charlie to continue having, sex mm -hmm. with um i don't remember yeah. the the girl's name 
thing. Um, but the way that that's described and his his hatred and it talks about like how he knew that hating the hunters would consume him mm-hmm. and and like be overwhelming and so his only option seemingly was to hate her and mm-hmm. to focus his hatred there and to blame her and as I said like the Twitter conversations about anti-blackness and specifically like anti-black women and it's, it's just bizarre to me how black men don't understand how these things work and how these things play out and how like black women are often like at the receiving end of kind of just all of this hate um there's a line i'm gonna butcher it but like the like the white man beats the black man and then the black woman has to go and like tend to the wounds of the victim and, but then also be abused by him, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um, just like lays out this cycle of like, um, yeah, the cycle of abuse, the cycle of terror. Um, and I, yeah, I just, I'm like, I want every, everybody on Twitter (laughs) to read this book and to like, not just be touched, but to be mm-hmm. moved and to understand like how we perpetuate these cycles and um, do often unload our baggage, our trauma, our hate on what's perceived to be the easier target. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's like, yeah, because if you think about taking on the man or whiteness or white supremacy, mm-hmm. like, we 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 see how that's gone in history right that that can be that's overwhelming that's an unending work that's not something that you're going to be able to sort of accomplish and so i think for a lot of black men then the the goal the hope is to at least you know be king of your castle mm-hmm. right um but it's like well you don't want so i'm, I'm watching mad men right yes. now um i think mad men a hundred percent explains why white people voted for trump I, you look mm-hmm. at Mad Men, which takes place in the fifties, and you're just like, "Oh, this is this is what they think they lost," mm-hmm. like particularly white men, um, but just like being treated like kings. And I just I wonder, I'm like, "Oh, when black men sometimes like don't want real freedom, and certainly not freedom for all black people, but really they just want the type of privilege that they've seen, mm-hmm. um, cool. you know, respected all the time. People are afraid to cross you." someone's going to take your coat and give you a coffee when you get into work and food's going to be on the table when you get home. And it's like, but, it, but pay attention to what that, that system does to everyone else involved in it. Yes. Like yes. that system requires X amount of people to live in fear, X amount of people to live in poverty. Cause you know, the, the Drapers have a, uh, I don't know if she's like a maid or a nanny, but she's black. They pay her like $12, um, which I, I, I know pricing was different, but like, you know, this under probably this underpaid black woman who has to take care of the kids, which is interesting because uh, Peggy Draper doesn't work anyway. So it's like you're a stay-at-home mom, but you also have a nanny, and you get to just smoke and drink with your friends all the time, and the men get to flirt and grab and grope at the office as much as they want. And, like, so on the racism side, I was like, oh, like, that's the world that they want, and that's what they felt some people probably felt like Trump was promising a return to. Um, but even for black people to think about like what actual liberation would mean and how it's not black people being able to live the way white people lived in the fifties. 
Um, I don't know. I just feel like the book that that cycle of hatred spoke a lot to think what is plaguing some of our people today. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Mm. Um, Audra, any insights? You, I think you said no already. Yeah, that was good. <laughs> right. Last question: uh, Who needed therapy the most? Oh my God! And at which <laughs> at which point? In their story, would you have injected therapy into that? I think that Charlie should have had therapy after he was forced to rape that woman. And I think if he had had some sort of intervention at that point, Pacola maybe would not have been assaulted by him and like his wife Pauline would not have had to suffer from his like really terrible behavior and lack of presence and um yeah because I feel like in that moment like for him to I feel like you can see him wrestling with like, I want to stop, but I'm being told to keep going and what that does to someone's agency to inflict harm and to be watched while inflicting harm. And yeah, like I, I don't quite have words for it yet, but I was enraged by that scene, but also felt very sad for Charlie, mm-hmm. um, because that's a really horrible thing to do. Yeah, it was really horrible. Um, yeah, yeah, I just am like, and he was young, yeah, right? He's really um, young. So, yeah, I feel like that could have stopped a lot of things later on in his life had it, had he been not forced to do mm. that. Yeah, my all of the characters need therapy, and I also do wonder like they all, all of them, all of them need therapy. Um, and I'm yeah, I think you're like naming like yeah, how how does therapy intervene in parenting? You know, later on, and how does that shape people as parents if they get it before they become parents? <laughs> would be great. Um, <laughs> would save some people some strife, but also I was thinking about like how therapy is fantastic and I highly recommend it and endorse it for all people, but also like being in therapy, but still being in traumatic situations is Mm. feels a little counterintuitive or like it doesn't cancel it out. Right. So let's say all black people got therapy, but white supremacy didn't go away. Mm. But (laughs) <laughs> you know like because a lot I mean because a lot of yeah. the and exactly yeah exactly because a lot of the 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 stuff that is burning burdening these characters comes straight out of you know white supremacy and racism and that structure and so like yes they all need therapy I think that would be great for them and they would all still be um I don't know I don't know how therapy 
Um, yeah, I'm wondering about how therapy like sort of leads to black liberation is I guess the question I'm asking. Um, and you know, obviously there's what goes without saying like, you know, access to therapy certainly comes with, you know, resources that some of these characters don't have, but, um, yeah, they all need therapy. I, I, you know, they all need therapy. They also need white supremacy to go away. (laughs) That would be great. Um, uh, so maybe maybe all the white people in the story need therapy <laughs> too. They do. <laughs> they can work through their racism. Mm. Um, That's the truth. Listen, you know, if white people went to therapy. We would. Anyways. <laughs> My God. <laughs> like if, if white yeah. people went to therapy specifically for like racism, why is that not a thing? Is that not a thing? Okay. <laughs> Or support groups for like I'm a racist, please help me. <laughs> like, just, because it's one thing, it's one thing for our people to go to therapy, but now we have exposed every single yep. wound, mm-hmm. right? And so some of our survival is because some of it has been buried or covered, mm-hmm. and there are some points where you just have to make that choice. But I don't want to be raw and exposed <laughs> and mad all the time, right? So. Like, and that's a current battle that I'm fighting is like, okay, now I full, I have more understanding of my wounds and the things that I'm processing, but I don't know what to do about them because the people who keep inflicting them mm-hmm. are still yeah. here somehow. <laughs> I don't get it. Um, so like, I don't know what people are supposed to do with that. <sighs> yeah. And that's the like, the privilege that many in our generation have is to be able to remove ourselves from a lot of toxic environments. Mm -hmm. But like, yeah, talking about any of these characters in this time, like they didn't really have options to do, you know? So yeah. What does it look like for what? 14 year old, 13 year old Charlie to, you know, get put into therapy, you know, best therapist in the world. Like, you know, he's still in the same environment, right? Or if you even, if you got Picola therapy and it's like, well, she still has abusive parents and, you know, to the worst degree. Um, So, yeah, I I think I also struggle a lot with like how to, in, in, in like my own world, like how do I give advice that is, cognizant of varying degrees of privilege and opportunity mm-hmm. um that you know for pe- some people the answer is just quit that job or just move out of that mm-hmm. house or just you know move to a different city or whatever and like so many people don't have those options yeah. whether because of financial reasons or because of age um you know we're in the middle of a panorama <laughs> like not every, you know and but so th- i also then find it really interesting that a lot of black people are still doing that even like with all the sort of financial uncertainty around us a lot of black people because of life are just like you know what no like this was a really good steady well-paying job and i'm out or Mm -hmm. you know this community was really uh maybe the best option it seemed like i had but i'm still out because it's too toxic and i'm not putting up with that anymore so i'm like applauding applauding our people, our sisters and brothers who have taken those steps of like self freedom and liberation. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think still grieved that for so many, 
you know, even if you're doing the best, getting the best therapy work, um, you know, available, like the family unit you may come from, the job that you may be stuck in, the community that you're around, like they might not all be going to therapy. Yep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and which again goes back to the, like that parenting tactic of like the best, maybe the best I can do is teach you how to survive in this world where the soil itself is unyielding mm-hmm. um, because we, I don't know. I mean, it feels defeatist to say like, cause maybe we can't change the soil. Um, but that's what social justice activists are for. <laughs> like, I, you know, I think there are some of us who do feel that call to fight, to change the larger things. Um, mm-hmm. But for many of us, it's really just like, what are the decisions that I can make for my own sanity and my own safety and mm-hmm. my own emotion, emotional well-being? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. 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 Hmm. Uh, and on that cheery note, <laughs> <laughs> we have discussed the bluest eye. Yay! <laughs> Thank you all for listening and journeying with us. Highly recommend the book with a, a asterisk trigger warning of maybe don't oh, yeah. read it while the sun is down in the winter <laughs> by yourself. <laughs> Audrey, any final thoughts or, or comments? Um, as someone who had not previously engaged Toni Morrison... Um, and now I have, I'm really thankful. Um, and I also want people to, who are listening to this to not feel shame about not having yet read it. Yep. Mm. Let's just say that. Um, because yeah, there are lots of reasons why we hadn't. (laughs) Well, (laughs) um, or that and not being a reader because of white supremacy. Um, Um, yeah, so to, if you want to pick up this book to just allow yourself to enter in and take breaks, yeah. please, because it's a lot yeah. happening um, and process out loud, um, especially if some of these stories start to um, lift up some things for mm-hmm. you. So that would just be my word of advice. Agree. Echo that. I am, you know, I read this book for the first time at 28 and I, I don't think that I could have received it at any other point in my life. Um, so just to, to further reject any shame that one might be feeling about not having read it, like, read it when you read it. Okay. Like who, <laughs> there's not a timeline. Who, who's <laughs> going to check you for not reading it? No. Are they going to beat your ass right. over it? No. So just <laughs> read it or don't. I mean, you also don't have to, like, I'm, I'm, I'm not in the, the business of telling people that they have to read anything. You don't have to read this, but. I don't know if you want to be moved. This is a book that might do that for you. So, yeah, yeah. Hollywood is doing better on giving us some nuanced black stories, but I think for most of us, the reality is we have to do the searching to find them. Yeah, I do. I think if anyone is on sort of a journey or enterprise of just uh, expanding their understanding of blackness. Like this might not even be like your story, but this is a part of the like canon literature wise of like black experience, but also just like if you grew up maybe anywhere in the world, but certainly if you grew up in America, like, you know, so much about people who aren't black. Mm. And, 
and the nuance and the feelings and the fears and the, you know, we know so much about what 14 year old white girls think because of television and, you know, all the books that we've had to read. So like do yourself the favor and give yourself the gift of expanding that to people who look like you. Um, And that's part of the reason why we started this podcast. Thanks for listening. If you liked what you've heard, please subscribe on Spotify and Apple Podcasts and leave a glowing review. You can reach us at OurCanonPod at gmail.com and follow us on Instagram at OurCanonPod. Music was done by Kamaria Fife, and our producer was the illustrious Adwa Asante. Thank you. <laughs>